That's here electronically. I brought the Bible up. <clears throat> the scripture reading today is from Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. <clears throat> for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. You read so well, we bumped him up. Just do the whole sermon tonight. Thank you, Craig. I'm looking forward to hearing from Craig tonight. He's part two of a three-part series on sacrifice. And uh, Jeff will anchor it next week on what it means to be a living sacrifice. And so we've got some good things uh, coming from these guys in the evenings. Uh, have you ever heard of the movie series called Mission Impossible. I know a lot of the uh, middle-aged and younger people probably have. It's on like number five, I think, right now. It's, it's the five-foot-seven Tom Cruise, you know, uh, overcoming uh, his, his stature to accomplish missions that are deemed impossible for anyone else except him. And, uh, you know, it's the kind of stuff where he's leaping over things on fire and jumping on trains from bridges and you know, uh, jumping on airplanes, going down the runway kind of thing. And, uh, you know, the Bible, if we're honest, has its own mission impossible. It's really throughout the pages of Scripture. It's replete with this message that if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're not observant, can seem self-defeating. It sounds kind of like this. It sounds like where Moses said, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land. Every commandment you must be careful to observe. But then he turns around in Deuteronomy 31, verse 29, for example, and says, I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I've commanded you. And then we read Isaiah, for example, saying, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you're willing and obedient, just, just be willing and obedient. And then he turns around and says that God will chasten them. I will turn my hand against you and take away all your dross and alloy. And so, the obedience thing they were tripping over. If you look at Paul the Apostle, he says circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Keeping the commandments is what matters. But then he turns around and says in Romans 7, verse 15 and 24, For what I'm doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? John says, 
Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Just keep His commandments. You know that you know Him. But then He says, in that same context, if we say we've not sinned, we make Him a liar. And His Word is not in us. Keep His commandments. We know we sin if we're telling the truth. And even Jesus makes statements that seem like this mission to keep the commandments of God is impossible. Listen to Him. If you love Me, keep My commandments. And how many of us have said, I must not love Him. I haven't kept His commandments. Again, He says to His apostles in the Great Commission concerning us, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe how many? As many as they can. Most of them. Tell them to do their best. Tell them to really try hard, and I'll consider that. He says, tell them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And yet he turns right around and says, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he really find faith? Do you see the dichotomy here? Do you see the, the, the problem that's presented? Keep the commandments. It'll go well with you. We break the commandments. So what are we going to do about this? It seems to me like we truly have a mission impossible here. Paul says, and probably the most direct statement concerning this that I could think of, therefore, by the deeds of the law, keeping the law, keeping the commandments of God, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. And I believe this principle goes for both the Old Law and the New. The Old Testament and the New. No one will be justified. Alright, let's put this in layman's terms. No one will go to heaven if you're counting on keeping the commandments of God to get you there. No one's going to make it. I mean, that, that can sound depressing to you if that's the first time you've ever thought about this. But I'm going to tell you something today. This is going to be the best news you've ever heard if that's the way you typically think. If you're defeated, self-defeated, if you're downcast because the Bible says to keep the commandments of God and you don't, if Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, and you know you don't, you don't keep them all. James said, he who breaks one is guilty of all. You're a, you're a lawbreaker. You're, you're a criminal. This is the best news you can hear today. And, and I want to emphasize this. I want you, this, is, this is my opinion. This is one of the most detrimental philosophies that Christians adopt. Is that I've got to get there by doing a good job of keeping the law, the commandments. Not just the law of Moses. The law of Christ. I'm going I'm I'm to do it. I'm going to do it. And it takes people down. People drop out of this race, right and left. I deal with this more personally than I do with liberalism, where people just don't really want to pay attention to the law. I deal a lot more with people who sincerely want to obey God and realize, you know, I, I'm not very good at this. I've improved over a year, five years, ten years, but... I'm an utter failure. And they leave it at that. There is something we need to understand for sure. Let's first of all understand something about the law. Because Paul asked a rhetorical question in, in Romans, 
knowing that the people were going to be thinking, well, what, do we just scrap the law then? We just So, good. Are you saying that we can just take the commandments of God and put them aside? He said, no. We actually established the law on this principle. The law has done several things for us, and I'm using this term loosely. Old Testament, New Testament, law in general. Law, the law of God. It has taught us. Romans 7, 7, is the law sin, Paul said? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except for the law or by the law. So the, the law of God, the commandments of God, point out sin to us. Don't they point it out in your life? That's why some people have a hard time reading the Bible. I've heard people say that with my own ears. I've believed that with my own heart. If I read my Bible today, I'm probably going to find something that opposes me. Something that challenges me. I'm going to have to change something. Ah, you know. You will be confronted with the holiness of God if you read the Bible. But if that's your whole view, you probably just won't read it. You just won't want to know. You'd rather hear something good that tickles your ears, right? Something easier to do. Maybe there's an easier way to do this. The law convicts us. Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to the to those who are under the law, listen, that every mouth may be stopped. Quit bragging. That every mouth may be stopped and that the world may become guilty before God. Well, that doesn't exactly sound like the gospel, does it? That the whole world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Yes, when you read the Word of God and you read the law of God, when you read His do's and don'ts, His commandments, you will be convicted and will become guilty before God. Shall we just leave it there? You'll close your Bible and you'll quit. The law, though, continues to do things beneficial to us, for sure. It keeps us close to God. It keeps us in bounds. It keeps us, as the Scripture says. In Galatians 3.24, it puts it this way, but before faith came, that's what we're go where we're going, before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. You better believe it. It feels like you've got handcuffs on. Shackles. Chains. He says we were kept under guard by the law. Kept, however, for the faith which would afterward be revealed. But most importantly, perhaps, is that the law points us to something apart from the law. The law points us to someone who can deliver us from the guiltiness, from the shame that can come from the guilt, from the bondage of our sin, where Satan has you right where he wants you, where you're without hope, where you're without confidence, where you are without peace and joy. That's right where He wants you, but the law is pointing from the very beginning of the Bible, clear through to the end, the law points. It points to a Savior. It points to a hero. In fact, it points to a superhero. But now... Romans 3, 21-24, The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. They spoke of it. They spoke of this righteousness of God apart from the law. That is, 
apart from me having to perfectly keep all the law by my own power. Boy, I want to know about this. Bring it. Even the righteousness of God, it's going to be through faith in Jesus Christ. To all, he's revealed to all, and listen to this, the righteousness of God is revealed on all. It's something that can come upon you if you take it upon yourself, who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. So now our mission that was impossible, the Bible says, is possible. You can be righteous before God, but it's not going to be according to you, as Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, which is part of our readings this week. Do it. Just do it. Obey all these words carefully, and it'll go well. You do it. Paul even takes that same passage. He takes that same passage. Open up to Romans chapter 10. You remember in the Scripture reading from Deuteronomy 30, how it said, Who will go down for us and bring it up, this understanding? Who will go into the heavens and bring it down, this understanding of how we're going to do this? Moses said it's... You don't have to reach like that. He said it's very near you. And Paul gave the application of it in Romans chapter 10. Now listen to this and let's begin in verse 4. In this context, uh, the first three verses talking about those who are trying to establish their own righteousness and they neglect the righteousness of God. He says in verse 4 of Romans 10, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For all those who believe in God and are, are, are trying to be saved by their own powers, Christ is the end of the law for becoming righteous. That's not the purpose of it. We've looked at some purposes, but even the law witnesses that you're not going to do it by perfect law keeping. So he says he's the end of the law to everyone who believes. Believes what? He says, now listen, for Moses wrote... Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. And here's our scripture reading from Deuteronomy. The man who does those things, I'm sorry, not yet. The man who does those things shall live by him. So he's even setting up this uh, uh, dichotomy. Just, just do these things and, and you'll live by him. And he says, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above to to help us or fix us or to explain this or, or to help us keep it perfectly. He says in verse 7, Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead, to fix us, to save us. He says, but what does it say? In Deuteronomy 30, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. They were talking about it daily. The word of faith which is being preached. It was in their hearts that they were learning to put their trust in God. He said, you, you've got it. Moses was telling you, you've, you've got it. The, the faith that you have in God to save you, you, you understand it. It's closer than you think being saved. But if you're turning and looking at the law with those, those goggles that, okay, I've, I guess God gave me things to do and I've got to do it myself. He said, that's the righteousness of the law. And we're not saved by that. Christ brought an end to this. 
The righteousness of faith means that you take your faith and you put it in your superhero. You put it in the superhero who's apart from the law, who has resolved this problem that we have of sin. Did Clay come before you this morning and say, let's commemorate this Lord's Supper because of all the evil that is done in the world, and thank God we all are righteous and we've come here together in our righteousness to partake of this meal. Thank God we're worthy, boy. That's not what I heard him say. Did you hear him say? He preached the gospel from the the Lord's table when he said, but Christ, through faith in Christ, who invited us to sup with Him and commemorate the achievement of Mission Impossible made it possible to commune with Him this morning. He was touching on that at the Lord's table. Thank you, Clay, for your input on that. See, this passage goes on to say, for the Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, verse 9, that God has raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's within reach. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. You want it. It's near. The Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew or Greek anymore, he says, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is open to all, and it's for all. And so, to say, I can't do it, becomes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. To say, I can't do it becomes whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. To say, I can't keep it becomes who will save me from this body of death? Question mark. I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. See, the answer was there. I didn't tell you the whole truth earlier. Paul answered the question. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God. Jesus Christ my Lord. I can't obey it. James said, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. John said, confess your sins to God. He's faithful and just to forgive you of all sin. You can be healed. Confess your sin. If we try to perfect our sins on our own, boy, I think that is the making of a miserable Christian. I think that's the making of a miserable Christian, which I was one for a time until I began to grasp that God saves me, not me. And there have been a lot of Christians lost due to this. I believe when that great question is asked today, why are we losing so many of our young people? I believe this is one of the greatest reasons. I don't hear this answer very often. But the self-defeat that is in trying to keep the commandments of God, and then you'll show Him you love Him, is hopeless. Isn't it? Our children need to know about the grace of God. Now, I'll revisit this commandment keeping here in just a second. But here's what the righteousness of man looks like. Trusting in yourself is, a, is, is not only a common problem, it's very deceiving. Anthony, a few weeks ago, made the, the uh, remark that no one lies to you more than you do. We deceive ourselves. all. We can talk ourselves into anything. We justify things all the time. We, just, we justify right and left. Well, 
I, maybe I shouldn't do this, but, you know. I know I ought to do this, but. I, it, it really isn't that bad because, and here's one of the reasons, because sometimes we think we're better than others. See, in my self-righteousness, if I am looking at the law and I'm saying, well, I fail, what I'll naturally do is look at you. And in some cases, I'll say, well, I think I'm a little bit better off than they are. And I'll focus on my own busyness, good deeds, and my own involvement. I'll focus on the outward appearance to you and what image you have of me because I'm trying to be justified by my works. I'll focus and gloat over other people's idleness and misdeeds. It'll actually make me feel good because I feel better because I'm trying to climb this ladder of justification of myself. It'll also make me complacent, perhaps, if I feel like I've arrived. It'll say, I really don't need saved. I'm doing it myself pretty good. Here's the flip side of that. What the righteousness of man looks like when you're trying to obey all the commandments to show God you love Him, to get Him to accept you, thinking you're worse than others, because that is going to lead you to dejection, a negative view of self, self-hate. And then you'll become envious over other people's joy. Why are they so happy? They're so happy all the time. That's obnoxious. When they may just be joyful in Christ. They may come into worship with a smile on their face. And, and someone feel like, don't they know that they're sinners? <laughs> we might become angry. We might become depressed because we just don't have that. And we don't understand why. There's a cycle there with no end in sight. No hope for better, just, just stuck if you are indeed self-righteous. See, self-righteousness does not always appear in overconfidence, arrogance, boasting, and bragging. Self-righteousness can rear its ugly head in someone who becomes depressed because they just can't do it. Both products... Both of these products exhibit some characteristics that are the same. First of all, <clears throat> measuring yourself against others. Whether you look and say, I think I'm a little better or a little worse, you're measuring against others. And Paul had something to say about this in 2 Corinthians 10.12. He said, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But we who boast and exalt about ourselves and compare themselves or rate themselves are not wise. Now he's talking about those who are self-righteous who think they're better than others. But I say to you, do not dare to classify yourselves among those who are dejected, lest you also become depressed in a realization that you also cannot do it and you have no hope. You start comparing yourself to others. It will lead to bitterness, as I mentioned, and envy. And will come out in the form of negative negativity, evil speaking, and when the competition's close, when there's someone just like you, or maybe someone you get a little credit that you think you ought to be getting, malice and slander and backstabbing will rear ugly heads. Needless to say, as James said, the, the wrath of man has not produced the righteousness of God. It will lead to competition among your teammates. Excuse me. <clears throat> 
Let's get some rain on somebody. We're going to have to outdo each other or demote each other to make ourselves look good rather than viewing everyone, as it has been said, all standing on the same plane at the foot of the cross and realizing we're all part of a team. We all have need here. You see, what stirs up this strife is this carnal mindset that Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 3 and James refers to in James chapter 4. He says, where do wars and infighting come from among you? Is it not from your desire to rise above? To have things? To be better than? Paraphrasing? This is where it comes from. Comparing and competing. Here's what else it'll do. And you've seen this. Where Christians are judgmental. That is, standing, not making a determination that someone is in sin and that they need your help. Righteous judgment, as Jesus called that. But rather, the judgment of Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, where Jesus said, Judge not, lest you be judged. That is, to put yourself in the seat of God and cast a sentence upon somebody rather than to see them in a merciful light and to say, this person is in sin. I wonder if I can help in some way. There's a big difference between righteous judgment and being judgmental. Self-righteousness, trusting in your own righteousness, leads to judgmental attitudes. That is not only detrimental to God and our fellowship, but how many... How many have the view of Christians in general, especially in society now? It's really heating up, isn't it? That there is a merciless view from our pastor that we have, and sometimes it's been justified by Christians who don't understand the righteousness of God. So, these are some of the things that I think are not understanding the righteousness of God through Christ that might make you miserable in your pursuit of God, in the name of God. This is what the righteousness of Christ looks like. The righteousness of Christ, or the righteousness of faith, putting your faith in Christ to save you. Looks like this. It looks like, first of all, a sacrifice. It looks like a sacrifice. The life of the just and perfect Jesus being given in your stead. And the reality of this historical event affects itself to the innermost depths of your heart. You become sacrificial. You become grateful. It looks to me like a grateful person. Grace produces gratitude in our hearts. Let me repeat that. Grace produces gratitude in your heart. You'll see grateful people when you see people who understand the righteousness of God by faith. It looks like sinners rejoicing in their salvation. Yes, those joyful people. Those people that some would mistakenly consider kind of obnoxious for being happy all the time. That's what it should look like. Joy and peace and happiness uh, from the inside of a person. Taking, having taken ownership of your sins, having confessed those sins to the Father and received the forgiveness that comes from Him. That gives great peace and joy. It looks like a sanctified life. 
It looks like a sanctified life in the making where surely and steadily you turn away from sin, rejoicing in keeping the commandments of the Lord, being cleansed of all unrighteousness, endeavoring to please the loving Father, not just to appease Him, as Anthony again put forth a couple of weeks ago, but to please Him. And the reason not to sin is is it law-keeping? Not to sin, is it? But that the law might teach us. You see, now that we understand that we're saved through Christ, let's revisit the law. The law teaches us. It teaches us the wonderful love of the One who has freed us from sin, that we may know Him by name. We learn God when we keep His commandments. It convicts us. Yes, it does convict us of sin so that we might humbly, yet boldly, turn to God for that grace and mercy in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 It keeps us, protects us. Some describe it as guardrails. And as I look out and look down this aisle, I see it in my mind, the picture of it. The road toward heaven is guarded here by guardrails that are the commandments of God. It keeps me in the environment. It keeps me in the mindset that I am imperfect. That I am imperfect, but that I may turn to Him at any time and call upon Him. The law keeps me there. His commandments protect me. But it always points me ever upward to the Son of God who saved me and who saved you who were not able to save them ourselves. It points upward. The commandments do. How lofty they are. So in this light, I say in the Spirit, with the Spirit, if you love Christ, keep His commandments. If you love Me, He said. If you love me, Not if you love commandment keeping, just keep them. If you love Me, keep My commandments. We must realize that we need to turn to Him for salvation first. And that once we're cleansed, we will turn to the law with that view that these things are for our good and will protect us. And so it becomes the law that passes, the peace that passes understanding to us. Well, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He also said, unless you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. This is the faith that is required that I believe not just in God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He is able to be my super above hero, hero, above me, above the law, able to reach down and save me from my sins. Do you believe that I am He? Repent and confess and be baptized, we sing. And that is the call I give to you this morning. To turn to Him for your salvation and no longer rely upon your own goodness to try to save you. You'll be very honest in this, in this vain effort. I hope that is good news to you. <laughs> it needs to be if you're one who's been struggling and striving, and never, seem, never seeming to ever achieve, being able to show God you love Him because you've kept the commandments perfectly. Once you know He's been baptized again and washed away your sins and begin this walk with Him in faith, Put your trust in His righteousness. Let's start and sing.